Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Harry. We continue with our in-depth look into this decade and the best films that have been blessed with us with their releases. And for today's episode, I'll be talking about one of the most popular films of the last decade. In fact, it was one of the first films to come out this decade and it was a very strong indicator of what was to come. So today we shall talk about Christopher Nolan's 2010 sci-fi thriller, Inception. Starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Tom Hardy, Elliot Page and Michael Caine. I remember when The Matrix came out in 1999 and I think I was 11 years old at the time I saw the movie for the first time and it was this ridiculously hyped movie. My parents didn't want me to go see it because it was rated 15. All the cool kids were going on about the action in this movie, never before seen footage of how they did the action, the scary agents that appeared in the movie. It had everything for every demographic it was cool to the teens it was revolutionary for the adults and it was never before seen genre for critics especially in contemporary hollywood not so often does a movie explode with this much anticipation and milestones in terms of action story and thrill as the years went on it was somewhat harder to dazzle the audiences because it seems that everything is not a surprise anymore in one sentence we've seen it all from crossover universes to handheld footages to films being shot on the iPhone to 1917 being done in one take to main characters being killed off early off in the 60s to the expectations have somewhat dissipated because we quite frankly have tackled most things shocking in cinema and this is one of the reasons why this decade has returned to this new wave of returning back to nostalgia and recreating this atmosphere with more purity and more heart We've also decided to just tell good stories now like Moonlight and Whiplash, focusing more on the human aspect of life and inner feelings rather than the dazzling special effects or CGI we can mesmerise audiences with. However, every now and again we are shown something quite brilliant and revolutionary, just like The Matrix in 1999 or Mad Max in the 80s, Metropolis in the 40s, and no one would have anticipated that Christopher Nolan's epic would have been that very feel of shock and just an experience that we have been lacking for decades. That experience we have wasted on this comic book era of films where we can assume what will happen. We understand the big action sequences, nothing is a shock, it's just there for an entertainment purpose. However... Originality does pop up now and again, and Inception was certainly one of those films, and that is simply why we need to discuss this film, because in time, people will put it alongside films like The Matrix, Mad Max, Metropolis, and by the way, it is completely coincidental that they all start with the letter M. But I think, already, as 10 years approaches since the film came out, it's probably up there as a groundbreaking film, one that is popular with every demographic, a call to the kids, a thrill for the adults, and finally, some originality for the critics. So Inception, what is Inception? What is this film about? Well, we know that this was a passion project of Christopher Nolan that, you know, now that he's well established because of the uh, Batman franchise, he just came off doing The Dark Knight, which reached over a billion globally. And of course, his work on The Prestige and Memento were praised by critics. So the gloves were off. We had the expectation with this brilliance of this auteur. But no one quite expected something as dazzlingly complex and as entertaining as Inception. I think after Inception, we understood Nolan's trademark. This was his stamp on his career, I think, because everything that followed after, audiences were expecting something dazzling and something complex because of the bar he had put up there. And of course, he keeps pushing that bar up with Interstellar, with Dunkirk told in a unique narrative structure. And of course, his new film, Tenant, which works on the realms of inverse time. 
So Inception was sort of the film to really kickstart his trademark. Others would argue the prestige was, and that would be, you know, the right assumption. But in terms of commercial success, the audience, the distribution, it has to be Inception, where the turning point began for Christopher Nolan. So Inception, what is Inception? So what is the film about? So we follow Dom, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who is this unique thief who lives in a world where we have advanced technology, and he's in this espionage sort of world, where he has the ability to go into people's dreams and steal their secrets from their subconsciousness, a job that he has become quite good at, and yet has cost him his life as well. Later, he gets offered this job, which gets his life back, and if he succeeds, um, he will get his whole life back and his family, but the job involves using inception on an individual, something that is deemed impossible, but Don believes he can do it, because... He has a history of doing it before. So he recruits his team and delves into this world of dreams on this individual quest to try and pull the most elaborate job ever. Inception, by the way, is the ability to plant an idea into someone's head and make it stick. It had a tremendous budget of $186 million, which, of course, was going to happen anyway because he came off one of the biggest movies in history, The Dark Knight. The film made... 66 million on its opening weekend that's inception by the way eventually just making short of 900 million dollars worldwide nominated for eight oscars winning four of them for visual effects cinematography sound mixing and sound editing it's ranked the 13th best movie ever on imdb and also winning another 152 awards through the award seasons including baftas golden globes and the guild awards the visual effects award was quite uh, the award was quite interesting because it doesn't actually use that many special effects most of the effects like the penrose staircase the avalanche the zero gravity sequence the rotating hallway were all done practically they're all done for real the movie has around 500 visual effect shots whereas most visual effects movies usually have more than 200 so if you know the characters of inception the job needs to be done needs to have certain characteristics and certain characters you know and these characters need to have certain traits a good example of that is oceans 11 they all have their skills you've got the driver the pickpocketer the inside man and there was an interview of christopher nolan about explaining these roles in inception and he used the analogy of filmmaking for inception because that's what he knows so well so leonardo dicaprio is the director Arthur, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, is the producer. Adriana, played by Elliot Page, is the production designer, since she designs the world they go into. Ames, played by Tom Hardy, is the actor, because he can assume the identity of each person. So we play certain roles through his heist. Sato is the studio, because he funds the entire heist. And Fisher, played by Killian Murphy, is the target. Therefore, he's the audience. He is witnessing the whole heist. In fact, he's the victim and the target of this entire heist. And though this is an interesting way to outline your heist scene by using the roles of filmmaking, which, of course, Christopher Nolan does very well. He doesn't actually mention it in the film. He just uses that as his concept when writing this movie. I think this is Christopher Nolan's first movie since his feature debut following, which was done in 1998, I think, which is his complete original work. All of his movies before that were either remakes or based on comic books or novels or short stories like the Batman franchise or The Prestige. You can see his influence in his movies, especially the espionage backdrop to this movie, the lighting, the framing, the story is fact. It's very Bond, and he makes no mistake in saying that he's a very big fan of James Bond. In fact, the fact that he hasn't directed a Bond movie yet is extraordinary, but I guarantee you it will happen towards the end of his career. I mean, the third level in um, 
in Inception, the, the snow base scene is clearly inspired by on Her Majesty's Secret Service. So you can see the influences resonate in his movies. He actually pitched this idea of a dream movie to Warner Brothers just after he finished Insomnia, which he did with Al Pacino and Robin Williams, which was back in 2002. And it was even impro- it was approved by the studio, even though he hadn't written it yet. So, anyways, he obviously got caught up with other project, other projects, and would you know like Batman and the Prestige, and he would then you know he he predicted it would take about two months to write. It eventually took him eight years to write, but I guess it was worth the wait. So, like I always say, nothing in film is by accident. Even things as mundane as the background, the mise en scène, the music, the tempo of the music, and even the names of the characters. And if you catch on to them, these subtleties in these movies, you may even have a good indication of where the movie is going. Inception purposefully does this, considering its themes is of mazes and puzzles and hidden layers, where things are hidden on purpose and some things are clear as day or there are simply things that are there for misdirection. Like the names of most of the main characters are somewhat referenced in their meaning in this narrative. Like Dom, for instance, means home in most Slavic languages and his main objective is getting home in this movie. Mal, which is short for Mallory, a name derived from the French word malheur, meaning misfortune or unhappiness, gives that character her true intent. Yusuf is actually the Arabic form of Joseph, who had the gift of interpreting dreams. And when Cobb gives Adriana the puzzle test, Adriana's final solution was a diagram of King Minus's labyrinth. Adriana is the name of King Minus's daughter in the same mythology. She helps Thesis out of the maze, which is somewhat relevant here, where she helps Dom out of this undeniability of his wife's death. That's essentially holding back from going home and like dreams the series of numbers keep appearing in this movie which in that number is the one that fisher gives Cobb right at the start 528491 the two hotel rooms are used of 528 and 491 the number that aims as a woman gives to fisher is 528491 the combination to the strong room starts at 52 and the combination to the safe is 528491 this is all to reinforce the importance of that number throughout this movie. Mathematically, the number 528491 is a prime number. So like dreams, the ideas of numbers play a part, flashing now and again in your head, which is what it does in the movie, especially with that certain combination or variations of that number. Nolan seems to be fascinated with the idea of time, which is evident from his past and future films. The idea in Interstellar that spending minutes on a planet would equate to years on Earth or that we view Dunkirk at different time intervals where they merge together at the end at the exact same time or the idea of Limbo in Inception where time slows down the more layers down you go in the dream or even his new film Tenant where you have this possibility of inverse time. So he is fascinated with this idea of time. If he had an Infinity Stone it would be that of Doctor Strange's Time Stone. Cobb and Mao in this movie spend 50 years in limbo. So at one point it's stated that 10 seconds in the first dream world is 3 minutes in the next and 60 minutes in the dream after that. That equates to time increasing roughly 18 times each dream. So since Cobb was able to be in limbo within the fourth dream, if you break down the maths, that equates to about 7.5 years for every 10 seconds. Breaking it down further, 50 years would be around 10.5 to 11 hours being asleep. So this can be confirmed by the fact that Sato aged into an old man while in limbo during the duration of the flight to Los Angeles. And speaking of the long flight, notice how everyone in this movie are recruited by different parts of the world. In fact, five of the seven continents. Arthur and Marla from the US. Cobb fetches Adriana from Paris. 
Ames and Yusuf are from Mombasa in Africa. Sato's from Japan and Fisher is from Australia. This is a very good idea to do, sort of bring everyone together. They do this in, they first did the idea in Star Trek where you had an African-American woman, where you had a an Asian pilot. Uh, and that, that was the first time they handled this sort of idea of diversity in a wide scale. So I'm glad Nolan does that. And he does it again with Tenant and most of his other films as well. Um, and with this incredible ensemble cast, you know, Nolan has really recruited the best of the best in their recruited departments. The role of Cobb was written specifically for Leonardo DiCaprio. The only person, uh, Emma Nolan, who co-wrote the movie with him, could envision in that role. They actually approached Kate Winslet for the role of Mal, but she turned it down, simply saying that she couldn't see herself in this role. The role ended up going to Marianne Cotillard, which is quite coincidental because Edith Piaf's song plays heavily in this movie as a plot device. And she won an Oscar for playing Piaf in La Via La Rose in 2007. So when they casted her, Nolan was going to choose another song because of just how coincidental it was. But Hans Zimmer just convinced him to keep the original song. And the role of Saito was re- was written exclusively for Ken Wantaby, uh, Ken Wantaby because writers and producers and director uh, Nolan felt that he appeared in Batman Begins, but he didn't have enough screen time because he's just he's meant to be Ra's al Ghul, but he's not. It's like a diversion. But he, he wanted a more prominent role for him, and Nolan said, let's put him in this movie. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt went to the audition after a brief character summary wearing a full suit, just in case, unknowingly matching his character's wardrobe perfectly and obviously won the role. And then would later play Blake in the third Batman movie, as does Marion Cotillard and as does Tom Hardy. So, I mean, and so does Michael Caine as well, actually. So the role of Arthur was for James Franco originally, but he was cho- um, but he couldn't commit because he had scheduling differences. But I think um, Christopher Nolan had already picked James Franco for the role of Arthur, but then he had to back out. That would have been quite an interesting role as well. And despite prominent billing as well, Sir Michael Caine only has three minutes of screen time in this movie. He's pretty much the cherry on top of the cake in all of Christopher Nolan's film. Even though I was watching Tenant the other day, and he's in it for one scene. He's in it for like two minutes, and that's it. But it is quite an impact he has. And with Tom Hardy as well, which was one of the first big Hollywood roles he was, he thought he was casted because of his role in Bronson. And then he went up to Christopher Nolan, and Christopher Nolan said, no, I've never even seen Bronson. Apparently he cast him because he saw him in Rock and Roll and thought he'd be the sort of same character. So that's how that one worked out. And of course, Tom Hardy would then later work with him as play Bane in um, the, the third Batman movie. And just like Michael Caine, we also have another frequent collaborator of Christopher Nolan, which is Killian Murphy, which is this third movie in five years in which his character spends a significant portion of his time with a cloth bag over his head, <laughs> which is quite funny because, of course, he plays Scarecrow in the Batman movie and he wears a mask, doesn't he? But Killian Murphy later spent a significant amount of screen time with a bag over his head in the last Batman movie as well, extending his streak to seven years, which is a very unusual fact, but he's working with Christopher Nolan, so... I wouldn't be complaining. But then he did work with him on Dunkirk and he didn't have to wear anything over his head. So he broke the streak there. So that was, uh, I'm sure, a relief for him. But yeah. Now, but now with this film, a lot of people speculate about the end. It's one of cinema's most asked questions. Is the ending a dream or is it a reality? This whole notion of the movie is why it's a great movie. It offers you the possible misdirection of a happy ending with Hans Zimmer's beautiful score of time emphasizing the ending the breakthrough that Cobb has completed the job and gets to be reunited with his kids and yet Nolan decides to end on a possible cliffhanger and why not since the whole movie's premise is on dreams and the idea of reality and what is real so during an interview Christopher Nolan addressed the ambiguous ending saying he believes Cobb makes it home to his children although it is open to interpretation by the viewer 
He further claimed that the point of not seeing whether or not the top spins, spin, the top doesn't spin or not, or stop spinning, is that Cobb is no longer obsessed over his dream, and that is what you need to take away from this: that the idea that this guy was almost obsessed, with, almost obsessed with what was real and what wasn't, because he spends two. I think yeah, he spends yeah, he's in limbo twice in the movie. Or, well, once in the movie, and then we hear that he was in Limbo before. But he seems to have no purpose, and which is why he was not that, you know, reluctant to go into Limbo to save Sato. He, and that's 52 years he spent there. He seems to have no purpose and also questions his reality now and again and not accepting what has happened, how tragic it is. Now, when Saito gives him purpose and meaning, a way to get back to his family, he'll do whatever it takes to get there. And that is one of the themes of the movie, doing whatever is necessary to achieve a goal. And I think the ending is misconceptualized because the important part you need to take away is that, yeah, it could be a dream and it couldn't be, but it's that Dom doesn't care anymore that it is a dream or not. It's the fact that that missing part of him, that obsession is gone and that he's now complete because he's now been reunited with his kids, whether they are real or not. The fact that is the first time we see him with his kids, and that's what Nolan is trying to say there. I mean, it's one of the most discussed conundrums of the movie industry. Is what you know? It was somewhat confirmed, actually, by Sir Michael Caine. In August 2018, during his speech at the Film Force Summer Screen at Somerset House, Michael Caine said the following... When I got the script of Inception, I was a bit puzzled by it. And I said to Christopher Nolan, I don't really understand when, when the dream is, where the dream is. And I am, um, you know, and he said, well, and then he asked Christopher Nolan, when is it the dream and when is it reality? And Christopher Nolan said, well, when you're in the scene, it's reality. So get that. So if Christopher Nolan, so if Christopher Nolan said that, he basically said that if Michael Caine's in the scene, it's reality. If I'm not, it might be a dream. So judging by these words and having in mind the fact that Kane was in that final scene, the events that took place are reality. And Cobb, Leonardo DiCaprio, was not dreaming at the end. Unlike Pulp Fiction, where Tarantino doesn't want to tell us what's inside the briefcase, both Michael Caine and Christopher Nolan have been quite open with the idea that there is a definitive answer in the eyes of the creator of this production. But the beautiful thing is he allows it to be up for interpretation. That is what's also so good about the open endings of this movie. The idea that as the audience could be in two minds about something, only one has a proper reason. And that further illustrates the idea of dreams and the theme of this movie, that nothing maybe what it seems, even though it's been confirmed by both director and actor. The movie is not going anywhere anytime soon, and it's about to reach its 10-year anniversary. Inception is one of a kind. It's a thriller. It's involving, you know, involves espionage. But like the movie plot, layers and layers of emotional themes that presents itself to the audience at the right times is what makes Inception such a good movie. I mean... Memory seems to be one of the main themes that reflects how unresolved attachments can resent you, how the past can linger into the subconscious, foreclosing the possibility of true happiness. Marl, in particular, is a character that embodies Cobb's toxic and self-destructive tendency to live in a theatre of memories where she is still alive, which pollutes his reality and his ambitions in fulfilling his goal, which is to see his kids again. A movie as sharp and complex as this offers a very humane emotional theme, which is let go of the past, no matter how painful it may be, and to fight with all your might to make unheard sacrifices like Leo being in limbo, to trust in your initiative, accepting opportunities like he does with Saito, and being around the right people like uh, Elliot Page's character, and eventually achieving your goal one step at a time, or one layer at a time. And this eventually is what Cobb does with his team that he recruits. A complex movie 
with a very simple message. But Nolan says, it's always up to your interpretation. Well, look, that's all I have time for with Inception. Truly a masterclass in storytelling and entertaining to the highest level with twists and turns at every layer. And beneath that, a simple message hiding in the enigma of this near future world, which is to go for your goals and to let go of the past. Anyway, I'm on Spotify, Google, and I'm also on iTunes, and I'm also on Instagram, Film Exploration I, uh, Film Exploration AH, or her case, all one word. And thank you again for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry.